to start here in uh, chapter 15 of Luke. We just keep moving on, don't we? We have uh, ten verses here. It's quite a section, two, two stories. Let's get to that setting first. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near Him. That's interesting in itself. These people would not be considered religious at all. They would not fit in with the temple, the synagogue. Matter of fact, they would not be allowed to come into the temple or the synagogues because of their sinful lifestyles. Now what's tax gather? Well, he is really described as a man who actually sold out his country to Rome in hopes of making a big profit. And we know one of those happens to be in the name of the disciples list. It was, uh, what, Matthew? Matthew had a great business going there. He gave it all up. He was a true disciple, wasn't he? Gave it all up, followed Christ. But that's what he was. He was a tax collector. They would overcharge people. They would collect the taxes, but to make a good living, you have to overcharge, and whatever you overcharge is your money. So if you're really good at it, you got a great place going there for money-wise. This man would be considered a traitor to the nation of Israel. I guess so. I mean, you know, tax collectors, you know, is one thing, but then what they did, and them being Jewish people, your own people being traitors. The next group, the sinners, that could take in anybody and everybody, and, and sinners are. They're, they're everybody. We were sinners. We still sin. We, we still have temptation. While we're in this flesh, as we're incarcerated into these bodies, but yet we can overcome sin because of Christ and the Holy Spirit. These sinners mainly were known as prostitutes. It would be known as people who engaged in sexual sins, but it can take in all sorts of things. They were actually considered to be the lowest strata of society. They were the worst as far as the Jews were concerned. They were excluded from worship in the synagogues. They had come to hear Jesus. Now that's amazing. Because he's been speaking to the Pharisees and then the great numbers of crowds that were there as he went out of the house where he had told about the invitations and then the, the, uh, the people uh, of Thousands are following him. He turns back and he says, you know what? As, as we saw in chapter 14 last week, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Is that a way to keep a crowd? You know, he's always saying things that are really hard, tough statements in the last several weeks or chapters and chapters we have seen him extend his invitation but yet he says here's what it's like to be a disciple have you counted the cost you say you want to follow me well look here's what's going to happen and then of course we're not going to take the time this week what it is to hate uh, your mother or father but it uh, we we came to the conclusion it means to love less than 
Christ. You, uh, you love Christ more. You love all these, even the, the relations, people that you know very well and you love. It's Christ above them. That's really finally what that full meaning is. And so, here we are, and Christ has this crowd of tax collectors and sinners, and He goes, oh, right, oh, this is what I get now after all this. No, He relishes in this because these are some of the ones that He came to save. He's not going to save them all. Matter of fact, to the uh, the Pharisees that He was talking to, uh, in that parable, it was like uh, they had their excuses. They didn't take the invitation. And He was really saying that they're not included in the kingdom of God. That's another tough statement. Well, what you have now is that Jesus has something to give them. So He received them. He even ate with them. Coming near to listen. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners. That's right, he sure does. This whole thing about him being there for them and eating with them, which had gotten around many times that it happened. Criticism comes out in the Pharisees as usual. It bothered them that Jesus hung out with sinners. Well, how else are the lost going to come to Christ unless believers take the Word of God to sinners, right? You don't have to take up their lifestyle. Matter of fact, don't do that. But bring the Gospel to them. That's how God has elected to choose people into His kingdom. He uses us, of all people, to take this good news out showing that they are lost, they are in their sin, and they are dead spiritually. What a privilege it is that we, uh, we have that. Well, so we have to be around people that are in the need of Christ. The only problem is they don't know that they need Christ. You know what they are? They're lost. Just like we were lost. So Jesus didn't come to make good people better. He actually came to heal the sick. He came to sinners who commit real sins. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, you know what? Then He didn't come for you. Do we get that? He comes to the sinners, the lost. Uh, Jesus had made a statement, those who are well do not need a physician. Those who are self-righteous, they don't need it because they don't want it. They don't think they're sick or really dead spiritually. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous or the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what He came here for. To call sinners to repentance. So, he starts off in verse 3, he told them this parable saying. So these are stories they can write to what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's earthly stories that really have kingdom principles. He lays it alongside, parabole to throw alongside. And that's what he does all throughout 
uh, this gospel, uh, gospel of Luke. And here's another one. And they're very understandable. He comes right to a society where they're agrarian, or in this case, you're dealing with sheep, or he deals with uh, money. Anybody can relate to that. And so he gets on that level, and those who want to hear will hear. Those who don't will shut their ears and they don't care about what he has to say. Which is most of the crowd, incidentally, even though they're following, what are they wanting? They're wanting the miracles. They're wanting all the cool things that he does. They're there to listen. They marvel over his words. But how many entrust them to their lives for eternal life? Eventually, those same people that are saying glory to God are also saying crucify Him and be not too much longer as we approach Him in Luke there. So what you have here is the story about uh, a lost sheep. Uh, what man among if you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. So we have the lost sheep. Whenever sheep are lost, to really give you the truth, they're not going to come home on their own. Once they're out there, they're out there. They, uh, they're not the brightest animal that is created. You have to go and get them. The shepherd has to get them. They're not going to come home. Lost sheep in the Judean wilderness was doomed. Had no protection. Matter of fact, there was just a, a lost sheep is really no no defenses whatsoever. He's out there lost on his own, and by the way, he can't even run. You ever seen sheep? They're, they're not very fast compared to coyotes, wolves, and all the other predators out there. They don't have a chance, do they? So you know, there they are by themselves, and all that kind of danger. And so they're unable to do uh, things. Now, a dog sometimes can find his way home. Remember the movie Old Yeller? They've had dozens of shows like that. Or you've experienced it where you've lost a dog, then the dog comes back, you know, all the joy that's there. So a dog can do that. The sheep, they can't do that. They're defenseless. Have you ever heard of fight or flight? Sheep can't fight. You ever seen any sheep, you know, trying to duke it out? The thing is, they can't even run very quick, you know. I mean, they're just—they don't really have a lot of things going for them. They fall on their sides. Once they fall on their side, they can't get back up by themselves. They need the shepherd to come along and put them back up. They're hopeless. They're defenseless. They're helpless. There's danger, I mean, uh, from a fall that they have, or just flat-out exhaustion, or dehydration. Boy, do they ever count and depend upon the shepherd, don't they? They couldn't make it on their own whatsoever. The land is rugged in Jerusalem, and it's rocky everywhere, and the sheep sometimes blend in with the rocks, you know, brownish tone. You know, you think of white sheep, but that doesn't usually work out there where they're at. They're dirty and they're they're out there, and it's it's hard to spot them sometimes. So when they become afraid, and sheep become afraid, they get very nervous and they get very fearful. 
by the way, they can almost get discouraged. And it's a picture of a lost sinner. Lost sheep, lost sinner. Now when you become Christ, He's the shepherd and we're the sheep. We're still sheep. But He's the shepherd, see? And that's what's great about it. We would still go our own way. I think of Isaiah 53. Wander off, wouldn't we? But only the shepherd is going to keep us in that. So what a picture it is when you look at the church as sheep. The lost people, they don't know the condition they're really in. You know what? I mean, they are behind bars. They are helpless. They're naked. They're hungry. They're poor. And they think everything's okay. There's nothing they can do about their condition. We look in John 6.44, one of my favorite verses. I'll tell you, it must be almost every week or so that we turn to this passage. But it says a lot about Christ and Him bringing us to Him. Verse 44, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him. I'll raise Him up in the last day. to meet you His. But you can't come to the Father on your own like sheep can't find their way back. They're lost. Don't even know they're lost. They're just out there. You know what? That's the way a sinner is. He's lost. He would never come to Christ on His own. But the Father sent the Son and He draws Him. He's drawn to the Son and then you have eternal life. That's where it starts. That's what it's about, isn't it? That is on the the shepherd. That's the focus right there. Anyway, look in uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. This is why they can't come to Christ. They cannot come to Christ on their own. Verse 4, In whose case the God of this world, who's that? Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why? So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Nobody can see the beauty of Christ unless their eyes are opened because they are in darkness. They cannot see anything spiritual of Christ the light of the Gospel, the light of the Gospel, the good news of the glory. Do you see those pregnant words? Do you see how they are just jumping off the page? The light of the Gospel, good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image, icon, the very character, the very nature of God, the very essence, He is God. The light of Christ's Gospel. They cannot see it. They cannot understand it. Don't expect a lost person just to say, ooh, I think I'll become a believer. It's going to take His Word. It's going to take His Spirit. 
He uses our mouths, however you know that is, and how it comes out. He can still use it if we use His truth here to show that they need a Savior. What comes out of that? We don't know. Maybe they'll turn to Christ at that moment. Maybe it'll be later. May it never be. We don't know. All we have to do is give the truth out. To give it out. Unbelievers are lost. They're helpless. They're just prey for the enemy. They are meat for the enemy. God has to intervene. So look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. This is the situation that I was in. You were in, if you're a Christian, what it was before. Remember that. You were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Look at this. Having no hope and without God in the world. Gentiles at one time had no hope. They didn't have the oracles. They didn't have the Word of God. And really ultimately it comes even to this day. People who are lost have no hope. What's after this world? They don't know. They don't care. They don't care of how they got here, who they are now, or where they're going. They are just like a ship that's lost its moorings and it's out to sea. That's a sad situation, isn't it? So it was with the sheep. In our story, the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep that are not lost, at least in this this parable, but he goes out to search for this one that's lost. He finds the sheep and he celebrates. Shepherd is really the focus, as we say here. There weren't a lot of rules about shepherding, but there was one dominant rule about shepherding. You don't lose your sheep. And when you lose them, get them back. You have to protect the sheep. You go and get the lost sheep. You don't have any options in saying, oh, I think I'll wait till tomorrow. You've got to go now because tomorrow is going to be too late. So you find it and you bring it back alive. If it's not alive and it's dead, which happened, then you bring a piece of it back. Maybe even out of the predator's mouth. But you don't come back without some part of that sheep. Hopefully, he's still alive. The Pharisees knew that. The crowd knows that. Sinners, tax collectors know that. That's what shepherding was. It was making sure that you took care of those very valuable sheep. You know the wool that they would give them? Even whenever I was making almost light of sheep and saying how stupid they are, at the same time, they are valuable. Okay, that's the sheep. Let's let's go to the coin because it's really the same kind of story going on. This time you have the woman. 
loses a coin. Or what woman, in verse 8, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's a lot like the lost sheep, isn't it? Same kind of thing going on. And, and you might say, hey, you skipped some verses. Yeah, well, this is different this week. I'm doing something really different. Usually I go right on down and describe each word or phrase that needs to be brought forth. And we're going to do that, but we have to jump ahead because it's really the same story. And Jesus is just trying to knock this out for them. That they can understand. He does one parable, he does another parable. Then he does the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And you see, Jesus is the teacher of all teachers. And he keeps pounding it in, and those who have ears will hear. They will understand. The ones who are chosen by him are going to hear that message and come to him as he is drawn to Christ. As we pointed out in John 6. Now, the coin here, the ten coins she has, she loses one. She lost part of the family finances, and that would deeply touch this woman here of this house. And she has ten coins, probably like a dowry, maybe, possibly. Uh, it's really all she has as far as those finances. Uh, they're poor people. They would be with that amount. Um, at least uh, they were not real well off. One coin would be worth about a day's wage. Now, that may not sound like much, but start thinking about it. If you made, uh, let's see, how about 25000 a year? Some of you probably make a lot more than that. Some of you go, well, okay, yeah, it sounds about like me. Um, that would be something equivalent to about $100 a day. Now, on that kind of salary, $100, if you miss one day of work, that $25 or that $100 actually means quite a bit. Matter of fact, that can pay a, a bill or bills, can it? It's really important. And you lose it and you go, whoa, you know, have you ever lost a $100 bill? Carolyn lost a $100 bill one time in our store. I won't give any facts or anything on it. But it, the thing is, she, she knew where she lost it at. But if you lose money like that, I mean, there's probably hardly anybody that I know that wouldn't be a little upset if they lost 100 bucks. You know, it's like a day's wage or whatever. Okay. So she uh, turns the house upside down. She looks for it here and there under, under the chairs and just you know everywhere around every room that she could uh, takes a, a lamp lights it illuminates that room and it could be a little dark in there starts sweeping and cleaning uh, she's supposed to make the meal that's coming up for tonight for supper and you know what she's got to find this coin uh, forget that. How about doing some laundry? Well, she can't do that. She can't go down to the stream and do that. She's got to find this coin. Uh, you get the, the impression here. This is really important to her. To lose one of these coins is tremendously 
important because that's a big loss. And it's dealing with her security in life here. So she's going to find it no matter what. She's going to do that. Now we all recognize all this, don't we? This is the, the woman is going to go to the lost coin. The shepherd is going to go to the lost sheep. The ones who are his, he's going to find. Absolute, without any doubt, 100%, that's the idea of Christ going for the lost people. Now we come to number two. That was number one. Wow, okay. We'll move on. Now we're going to go back to verse four, but it'll kind of move with verse eight also. Kind of different this time, isn't it? Are you staying with me? These stories are simple, but very profound. The sheep are us. The coin is us. The prodigal son is us. Before we knew Christ, or could be you if you don't know Christ, right? You are still lost. Look in Luke 19, same book, and we see what Christ is doing. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Does that make sense? That's why He came here. Seeks saves. Both the shepherd and the woman realized the problem. And what did they do? They took the initiative to deal with this loss that they had. You know, no matter what, that lamb or that sheep out there is not going to come back home. Lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost coin is not going to come back on its own. Is it? They're, they're passive in this whole process. The only reason, and mark this, the only reason that they're found is because the shepherd and the woman initiated a diligent search for them. Jesus is radical in His teaching. You ever notice that? He goes to extremes, even in these stories, to show what He did for us. He came to us who were really lost. And we're, we're uh, in Ephesians 2, it says that we are dead. Uh, in John 9, you have the blind man. It's always Christ who has to come to them. He initiates it. Um, the initiative starts out of His love, His compassion, His mercy, His grace. He starts it all. Because we couldn't start it, could we? That's why we can't say, I think I'll choose God now. We can't do that unless He has come in and woken up the sinner who's lost, who's dead. Paul says He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. <clears throat> Talking about the Gospel and the power of God. And look at this. This is awesome, folks. Who has saved us and called us. That's an effectual calling, isn't it? He called us with a holy calling. A set-apart calling. Not according to our works, 
but according to His own purpose and grace which was granted. Are you seeing these terms? Us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. When were you chosen by God? From all eternity. That's incredible. I don't remember that. Of course not. You weren't there. But yet in God's eyes, He knew you. To Him, you remember that He is eternal. It's His purpose. His grace. He grants it. Go to Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. What a great God. Speaking about Christ and all blessings in Him. Verse 4, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined predetermined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the fact that He saw that we would believe in Him, right? Does it say that in Ephesians 1? Right? I mean, that's what a lot of people say. You've got to make the decision. It's according to the kind intention of His will. What about free will? It's about His will to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed us in the Beloved. Take that whole chapter. It's my favorite. We've got a little bit of Romans 8 here later, but am I really trying to press this whole thing in here? It's part of the deal of the shepherd and the sheep, isn't it? It's part of this whole deal where the shepherd takes initiative or the woman takes the initiative to find that coin. Because if you're dead, you're dead. You cannot do anything spiritual. You cannot. Look in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Gotta love this one. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. How does He demonstrate His love? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He dies for His people who were sinners. He died for us. While we were sinners, He did that. I wasn't even born yet. But yet in God's time, which He has no time that He's bound by, there He is. He's dying for us. So there is the sense that we were with Him at the cross. We died with Him. We were raised for justification. We were raised with Him. So here we are. Romans 6 talks about that. Anyway, if salvation had been left up to us then, just like that lost sheep, we would still be in our sins, wouldn't we? If there's any kind of glory that we can give at all, then God doesn't give all the glory. Does he? He doesn't get all the glory. 99% God, 1% us. We don't see that in any of these passages. I think it's amazing that he'd take the initiative. And then I could say, I don't I don't even deserve then 
that. If I'm in my sin, that's exactly right. That's what He wants everybody that comes to salvation to recognize their sinful lifestyles and their sinful nature and they would repent of that. And He grants repentance. He grants faith. Now there's a cost for this search. There's a cost for the shepherd. There's a cost for the woman. It took time. You ever heard of time takes a time and money, right? Like time is, is worth money. Well, in the case of the shepherd, he had to take whatever time it took to search for this lost sheep. He had to expose himself to the dangers that were out there in the wilderness. All the weather and, of course, the lions and the wolves that would be out there. You think of David, the shepherd, and, of course, he actually killed a lion, right? And uh, you could be, uh, like, stalked after by these animals also, just like the sheep. He had to go find that sheep. And you guys ever remember that picture? I remember, I think it was at my grandma's house. On a wall, I think it was in the kitchen, was is really the shepherd. Jesus is like the shepherd. And He's reaching over this precipice and He's rescuing this lamb that's caught in a in a bush. Does any of you ever remember that picture? It's an old, old picture. That sheep couldn't get up that precipice. No way that sheep could do anything. It was that Jesus brought that sheep out of that deathly place that He was in. He was going to die there. As good as dead, brought Him back up. All the effort and the danger that is done by the shepherd. When Christ came here, to do His work on the cross that would save sinners, what kind of danger did He come into in a world that is so sinful? The God of the universe, who is holy and transcendent, comes down to a very sinful world. And people want to kill Him. If they could have, they would have done it long before Luke 15. They've already tried it. They had tried it in his hometown as his ministry started in Nazareth. As they tried to push him off of a hill, and of course, it wasn't in God's timing. Quite a quite a cost for that shepherd, isn't it? Well, in the case of the woman and her coin, what about the cost there? Everything was set aside. All the things that she needed to do. Is all set aside. She's got to find the coin, and she will find the coin. She didn't go to the stream to wash her laundry, as I said. She has a lost coin. It's great value to her, you know. And you know what? Whenever I lose something, it drives me crazy until I can find it. I keep thinking, okay, where did I? Where, where, where was I at? What did I do that day? You guys have done the same thing. You all relate to this, right? And you are going to find it no matter what. Or else you're not going to get your car started. <laughs> That's the keys, right? Look in Romans 8.32. Talking about a cost. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? 
That was a cost, wasn't it? It cost the father, the son's life. Of course, he was resurrected. That's all part of the plan. But to come to this earth and take on the torture, the abuse that came out of men's mouths, all the sinners that they are, and yet some of them he died for to bring into his kingdom and adopt them. Trust in Christ, that was you. Look at Mark 10.45. What a cost. What a cost. This glorifies the Father as we talk about these kind of things today. You know that? He's being glorified. 10.45 For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for the many. As a ransom, he had to pay. The father was then satisfied with that payment of his life on the cross. It pleased the father to crush his son, as it says in Isaiah 53. That's a hard statement, isn't it? It wasn't by accident. God already knew this plan from before the foundation of the world. In eternity, he had this plan all made up. And every aspect came true. The Savior pursues sinners until He finds them. Did the shepherd give up? No. Did the woman give up? No. The shepherd was relentless. He was a good shepherd. He was not a hireling as in John 10. He's a good shepherd. The woman didn't give up. She found that missing coin. In John 17, verse 2, Jesus, high priestly prayer. Oh, what a prayer. One of the greatest prayers in the Bible. It's God's plan. At the same time, it includes us. While He was praying that night before that He'd be crucified, He was praying for His people, His disciples, and then all believers all the way up to even our time. In John 17, verse 2, it says, Even as you gave Him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given Him, He may give eternal life. Did you guys see that? All that the Father gave to the Son, He gives eternal life. Wow. He's praying this here. That's what this comes down to. Verse 6, I have manifested Your name to the men whom You gave Me out of the world. They were Yours, and You gave them to Me, and they have kept Your Word. Disciples. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I'm praying for them. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on them, His, but of those whom You have given Me, for they are Yours. You gave them to Me. I pray for them. I ask on behalf, not of the other people that are not Yours, but of the ones who are Yours. I think that's what it's saying. What do you guys think? You think it's saying that? 
Look in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me be with Me where I am so that they may see My glory which You have given Me for You loved Me before the foundation of the world. Let's go to the next. It's found in verse 5 and verse 9 of our Luke 15. This is encouraging to believers, isn't it? Lost sinners are found and they're kept by the Savior. The shepherd will not lose them. Verse 5 When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Lays the sheep on his shoulders, and he's hanging on to the legs. Have you guys seen the pictures of a shepherd and the sheep over that? You've probably seen those painted pictures and such. He finds this sheep in a helpless condition, hopeless, maybe almost dead, just lying somewhere, picks up the sheep, puts him on his shoulder, around his neck, and he rejoices. It's found him. Now, the hard part is getting back home with that sheep that could be as much as 70 pounds on his back and to go through this wilderness to get back home. So he puts it securely there on his shoulders, carries it home. He's a smiling shepherd. You've seen that picture, haven't you? The smiling shepherd with the lamb on his shoulders. He's holding it by the legs. Jesus said in John 10.28, I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of My hand. I don't care what wolf comes here. They're not going to get them. Forever. How long is eternal? Eternal. Eternity. So His Son secured our redemption by His blood and the Holy Spirit then pursues you with the good news that Christ died for you and your sins. He sought after you until He found you. He will not ever let us go back into our sins. That sin nature. We still battle sin. We know that but will never be lost again. Once you're saved by Him and delivered, you'll never be lost. You might feel like it sometimes. Let me tell you, if you're in Christ, you're in there forever. Then He calls together His friends. Verse 6, And when He comes home, He calls together His friends and His neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with Me, for I have found My sheep which was lost! Exclamation point. He's excited. This is great. This is what He set out to do and He did it. Don't you love that part? It could be that uh, maybe the people, some of the people had interest in, that, in those sheep. It could have been other people. You know, there were many sheep and not all those sheep were yours. It could have been others and the shepherd is watching all of them. But uh, whatever is going on here, they're excited. And if it happens to be the sheep that they lost and He found it, well, they're excited too, right? Or they're just excited for Him, for finding it. Nobody likes to see bad things happen like that. 
So there was an event of joy in the village there where the shepherd showed up. Uh, as far as the, the woman is concerned, same thing. She had, uh, she had joy, and so she called together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost! Exclamation point. Same kind of thing going there. And then we come to the fourth one and the last one. Lost and found sinners are rejoiced over by heaven. Whenever you were brought to Christ, you became His adopted child. All of heaven was having a party. They were enjoying this vastly. There's a marked contrast between, remember, the the grumbling Pharisees and the scribes? They're grumbling. And here you have joy. Really, only the Christian has the right to have true joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And we're also commanded to have joy. Be ye glad. Be ye glad. Remember that song that Audrey sang and we sang this morning? Be glad. Be joyful. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice in case you didn't hear the first time. Ah, you know what? Look at it here. Look at it here. Look in verse 5. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. How about verse 6? And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them what? Rejoice with me. In verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. How about verse 9? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Verse 10, In the same way I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Boy, when one comes to Christ, not only do we rejoice here on earth, but all of heaven. And they're probably not inhibited as much as we are. And they're expressing their joy over this lost sinner. So God's joy is over sinners who repent. We just read that area. Repentance means turning to God. Metanoia, changing your thoughts, but changing also your whole lifestyle. It's God's gift. It's not a work of man. In Acts 11.18, He grants repentance. Perhaps He will grant repentance to give it. I also think of Romans chapter 2, I believe it's verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to what? Repentance. Do you know what? It was the kindness of God that got you to repent. He granted repentance. He gave repentance to you in Acts 11.18. Here we see it here in Romans that it's because of His kindness that we can even repent. Faith is granted to us. Repentance is granted, yet we are to do that. We are to say, yes, I trust in Christ. But it's His work that starts it all. 
He brings us back to life. He regenerates us. Jesus came to save those who would admit that they're lost, that they are sinners, that they've sinned against the Holy God. Those who claim to be righteous in their own deeds, you know what they do? Just like the Pharisees, they reject their need for the Savior. They don't want the invitation. They don't need it. They don't need Christ, so therefore they're self-righteous. They don't need His righteousness to get into heaven. We have to get His righteousness. He has to take our sin and put on us righteousness. And that's the great exchange, isn't it? What a great exchange that is. What a deal, right? That's the deal of the ages. So, Pharisees and the scribes, they're probably really representing those 99 who were the self-righteous ones. They looked like they were saved. They, they knew that they were going into heaven and that they were not. But Jesus goes after that one This is, uh, I guess, what you could call a divine sarcasm as He calls them the 99 who didn't need to be saved as far as they were concerned. They didn't need repentance, did they? They didn't view themselves as lost. There's no rejoicing over them in heaven. Heaven only rejoices over the one who knows that he's lost but now is found. Look at 1 Peter 1.12, talking about the angels. Just right at the very end of this, this is, this is great. It was revealed to them, it was revealed to the prophets, okay, that they were not serving themselves, but you. Serving really the church. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You see, there were the elect angels and then there were the ones that were not elect. The non-elect committed their sin. The elect angels never sinned. The elect angels didn't need to be saved They were not sinners. They were saved in the sense that they are His elect. But they don't know what all the Gospel is even about. This is amazing that God would take sinners and to know how bad and sinful and evil and wicked this generation that we live in and that He would save some out of it. And none of them deserve it, do they? The question is, why would He save me? Why, if it really wasn't anything of me? Why? His love, His mercy, His grace, it's in His plan. It sure wasn't in in, in me. And the angels don't know what that is about because they were never lost. The good angels that are rejoicing in heaven. But yet, they know it's God's plan to save His people. Bring them into heaven. To bring them into the kingdom. And, and they long to look into this, this whole gospel, this, this whole story that he has. It's like, what is it like to be lost like they are and then all of a sudden be saved? And we're a little lower than the angels right now. But one day we will be exalted even over the angels who are perfect creatures. One day we will be glorified and in perfect bodies, perfect minds, perfect souls. Well, the angels just revel in the glory of God. 
That's the reason they exist. All for the glory of God. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If He enjoys us coming into His kingdom, which was His plan, and He rejoices over that, and so do the angels, we rejoice, and our whole life is about rejoicing. Are you rejoicing this morning as you have studied His Word? Even as much as I wanted to get this out much more clear and even more brighter than than I have, you know, it falls short of what Christ can present. Do you look at His words and the Holy Spirit and the power that's there? You have to be amazed. You have to rejoice over that, don't you? It's the work that He's doing. The angels rejoice because they know the terrors of hell that where those lost sinners would have been, they would have been overtaken. And they know the joy of God's glorious presence, don't they? And so those sinners who repented are going to be with them. And they protect us. They minister to us, don't they? To close this out, by the way, you're going to spend eternity glorifying God in a way that we can't do here. These parables, they show God's concern, His compassion, His love, His mercy for sinners. But not for in mass, in in huge numbers, but for individual sinners. How many sheep were lost in this sense? He went out for one. How many coins? He went out for one. Next week, how many sons? He went out for one. The, The ones that were lost. What we're saying is that He came to you individually, didn't He? He came to you. The woman hunted diligently for a single coin. The good shepherd knows his sheep by name. John chapter 10, verse 3. He knows his sheep. And the sheep know him. There are people who come up to him and say, We did this, we did that, we cast out demons, and we did miracles in your name. And he says, What? Depart from me. I never knew you. They were really not His. They were part of the church or part of the believing. They were part of a a nation that God had given the oracles to and great blessings. But unless they know Christ, they were outside the kingdom. Just get away from me. I don't know you. But you know what? If you're His sheep, He cares for you deeply. Isn't that great to think about? Is that encouraging? Super encouraging, isn't it? If you'll join the tax collectors and the sinners and draw near to Jesus and listen to Him, you'll know the joy of singing. You know this line, don't you? I once was lost, but now am found. Let's pray. Father, what a great glorious passage that You've given us here out of this Gospel of Luke. It is tremendous to know that there's a shepherd that cares for his sheep and he will not lose his sheep and he promises eternal life because it is upon his work on the cross and it's his work that sanctifies in us as we are obedient, as we trust him and we know that 
you, Lord, will take us all the way on into the kingdom of God in the eternal state and the kingdom. And Lord, we thank you so much that we have this knowledge, but also that it would be in our hearts. And that we too would have a desire that the lost would come to Christ so that we can rejoice. One of the greatest rejoicings that we can have. Lord, help us to be a church that people will be committed to You and put You as number one and everything else behind. Everything. Be willing to give that up. Whatever it is that would separate us. And also, taking this Gospel out as we walk out of these doors that it doesn't stop right there and we spill it at the door. But we take this great good news you find somebody for us to take it to. Somebody that's lost, that they would be found. In your son's name we pray, amen.